Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be in John chapter 9 in the New Testament. And we've been covering the prophet, the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. We've gone through some 55 chapters. And I have a custom in this church just to give variety of the scripture. Sometimes these long prophetic books, it would take us like a year or more to actually go through it. So every 10 chapters in in the longer books, I, I mix things up and usually jump back to the New Testament. So for this Sunday, we'll be in John chapter 9, really neat message. Then we'll continue in Isaiah starting next Sunday again. Uh, but, you know, there's this, there's this miracle that Jesus does, and he did so many miracles. Even John 21 said he did so much that, you know, everything that Jesus did in his three-plus years probably couldn't even be recorded in, in books that you could read in a lifetime. But uh, basically, he does this incredible miracle where he heals a blind man. And I want to focus more on people's reaction to the miracle than the miracle itself. How did the community react to this miracle? How did the disciples react? How did the man react? How did his parents react? How did the religious system react to this miracle? And it's interesting as, you know, in my former life, I was a police officer and I would go to a call and it could be a car crash or a crime and I would round up my witnesses and sequester them and ask them questions. And it's neat because they all saw the same thing and they have this common thread of seeing the event, but there's some nuances in their testimony that reflects sometimes their emotional state, their personal experiences, etc. So you see this, this incredible miracle Everybody sees the same thing, but watch how uh, things are different. Now, understand that the Bible records facts, it records science, it records all kinds of things, archaeology, but it also records conversations. That's why you have to read the Bible in context. We're going to hear some statements from the disciples, which Jesus corrects, uh, statements from the man who's healed, the blind man and also from the religious system that are not theologically accurate. But we'll see how it gets corrected in the story. Remember, the Bible doesn't candy coat. It records actual events and actual conversations. It doesn't mean that everybody who was in those conversations said things that were factually accurate. And we're going to look at this in seven parts, and we'll, we'll go over those when they come, you know, when they surface, and Jesus certainly did. So jumping in, it says... Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. It was congenital. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the first people that we run into is the disciples. And I wonder, if I could use Mac as my subject here sitting in the front, I wonder, is, as Jesus was passing by the man, I wonder if he did it as a test, because usually he would lead and his disciples would follow. The disciples see the man as well. I don't know, maybe they see him begging and they see him kind of staring, so they kind of, in front of his face, he's definitely blind. They start having this conversation, almost as if he's not there. So, Rabbi, this man over here, 
Did his parents sin and cause a terrible thing to happen to him? Or did he sin maybe in the womb? (laughs) So, you know, Jesus, of course, corrects their thinking. And there was a lot of unusual Eastern and Greek uh, ways that were working their way into, unfortunately, the religion at the time. So the disciples heard some things and they asked Jesus about it. But let's not miss the fact that they didn't really talk about how they could help. They talked about his condition. People do that today. And the human psyche is a very interesting thing. When you run into a person who's disabled or something that evokes um, sadness or, well, look at the, the, that what this person has to deal with. They're either blind or they're in a wheelchair or whatever. People have different reactions to it. Some pity. They pity the person, and it makes them feel better that they pitied them. Others blame. You put yourself in that position. Again, each person has a different kind of reaction to the situation. Some uh, ignore the person as if they didn't see them. You usually see this in the city. Um, others ponder, they, like the disciples did. They pondered the situation. That was their way of uh, contributing, which was wrong. And others help. And folks, as Christians, what kind of Christians are we? Are we armchair Christians? Or are we Christians that actually are part of the solution? Because I'm going to tell you that when the church cloisters itself and it doesn't go out into the communities and it doesn't help, uh, it's really a turnoff to the rest of the world. Because Jesus called us to go out. And watch how Jesus heals and, and, and works this situation. Um, again, what kind of Christians are we? Are we living in our comfort zones, our comfortable lifestyles, pondering the plight of the lost or pondering the plight of the unfortunate, or are we out there trying to make a difference? I, I am blessed, as we talked about in the announcements between Operation Christmas Child, the Row Clean. You know, for a church our si- uh, size, we have a lot of people that are, that are helping out, and that's really a blessing. We continue on, verse 3. It says, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed, and the man came back seeing. So two, second group or the second person in this cadre of people that were, you know, tangential to the to the the, uh, miracle is Jesus Christ himself. And I'll just say this, the church, I don't care if it's the organization or the proper term of church, which means the people filled with the Holy Spirit, the church is only as good as its ability to reflect the light of Christ. I'll say that again. The church is only as good as its ability to reflect Jesus Christ. So while the disciples were debating this poor guy's fate, Jesus, all the while, I believe, was planning to heal him and probably wanted to see what the response was of his followers. So the first thing he does is he addresses the blindness and he basically says, you know, we're looking at cause and effect here. Um, Again, they had this weird doctrine that you could sin in the womb. So what can you do in the womb? You're floating around in the amniotic fluid. But there was this doctrine that came in that you could sin so terribly that it would cause 
these things. God doesn't operate like that. Or the parents sinned so bad that God punished the children. Very odd doctrines that Jesus deals with decisively. Um, really, what, what is the answer? The answer is because of the fall of mankind. It's general. It's indiscriminate. Pastor Paul's going through Ecclesiastes on Wednesday. It's a great book that helps to address these things, right? The Bible says the rain falls on the good and the wicked. Uh, but in, in essence, you know, we live in a fallen world and these things happen. But it wasn't because he did something wrong or his parents did something wrong. If I could just read the sentence structure a little bit differently, in the Koine Greek, there were no uh, punctuations, so to speak. And you had to look at the sentence structure of where the Greek word was. In this. I, I studied Greek. Uh, but basically, in this situation, there's a, a subtle nuance of how it can be translated. So let me, let me read it where some scholars have put the alternate translation. Jesus who sinned, this man or his parents said he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. Nevertheless that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Do you see how that changes things, right? Now, the caveat in all this is we, we address the sin issue. Let's address the God issue. Does that mean that God purposely struck the man with blindness so that he can send Jesus later on to heal him? I don't believe it says that either. Uh, but God, we know in the scripture, will use harsh situations caused by the fall of mankind, and he'll turn them for good. He'll give beauty for ashes, as the scripture says. And folks, he could do that in your life too. You might not be as, as unfortunate as this man was, but you might be struggling with something right now. This, the Bible was written for you too. That's why it's called the living word. There's so many applications to it. However, I will say this, that I don't know if Unfortunate things didn't happen in my life. You know, when I was a boy, a little boy, my parents got divorced, and it wasn't a pretty divorce. And there's a lot of things that happened in my life. Um, turned to alcohol early on, which that wasn't good. And my life was a mess by the time I was in my 20s. And, you know, I came to Christ because I wanted to, but I wonder if my life was perfect all the time, would I be so deceived with my lifestyle and my comfort that I would have ever come to him? It's an interesting question. So i got to be honest with you, from a personal perspective, if that's what it took, hardships in my life, to bring me to the cross, I'll take it. And it's only on this side of the cross can you understand that statement. And I'm just speaking for myself. So it's, it's really, you got to look at this. Cause and effect is important. But do trials bring us through the foot of the cross? Some of you are here this morning because of a trial that you're experiencing. No doubt about that. Verses 4 to 5, Jesus says that he can work during the day, but the night is coming when nobody can work. And when you look at this, the day, the night, these are metaphors for spiritual things. Um, it's, it's day, it's beautiful. Jesus was on the earth. He could do so many things. People, had a, people have a short uh, lifespan, so in those three, three plus years, he spent most of his time helping and healing and raising the dead and, and then doing object lessons based on those, those healings, which were even more important because a temporary healing is awesome, but to be led to salvation so you can have eternal life, that's certainly much better. Um, the night was coming, well, certainly his crucifixion and his, his, well, his resurrection ascended into heaven, he was bodily taken from the earth. He ascended back into heaven. 
but I believe that when he speaks about the night, he's also speaking in a far fulfillment. We've been in prophecy, and Jesus would speak in metaphors and prophetic tones. So there is a, a time in our future, on, in earth's future, coming where the tribulation, things will be so bad on the earth that it will, it will be a very dismal time, and the whole earth will be uh, covered by this. Massive wars, massive famines, you read Revelation so I just would encourage you, if you're on the fence about Christ, come now. Take the first bus, so to speak. Verses 6 through 7, he does a very unusual healing. He spits on the ground, and he makes a poultice out of his spit and the dirt. Could you imagine his, <laughs> could you imagine the, his followers like, what is he doing? <laughs> sometimes he would speak with a word. Sometimes he would speak with a touch. This is a little bit more elaborate. So he's, he makes this spitty, muddy, clay, messy stuff and puts it in the guy's eyes and then sends him down the road to bathe in the pool of Siloam. Well, we see a few things. A, it, there's no formula Christianity here. Formula Christianity is a way to put God in a box and almost make him a genie in a bottle. And you let him out only when you need something. You know, they have these practices, people have these practices of, if you can't sell your house, take a statue and bury it upside down in the ground. You're laughing because you've heard about this. You know, that's not how God works. Talk to him. Don't put something in the ground and expect something magical to happen. It's, It's weird. Or if you're a friend of mine on Facebook... Do me a favor, stop sending me the pictures of Jesus, like and share, and you will be blessed with money. I mean, that's just weird. It's weird. If you're struggling, talk to the Lord. Don't like and post and forward Facebook stuff and never have a discussion with him. So I'm being as humorous as I can, but formula Christianity doesn't work. God wants our heart. He wants us to talk to him. You see what I'm saying? So that's the first thing. Nobody could figure out, oh, I'm going to nail Jesus down. I got my little ledger book. Ah, oh, he does them all this way. Yeah, okay, throw the ledger book out the window because he kept changing his MO. It's pretty, pretty neat. We also see that God used dirt. And in Genesis, he makes the man and he forms him out of the elements of the ground and he breathes into his nostrils and he becomes a living spirit. That's amazing. You think about this, when you die, and not that you'd want to do this, but if you took the composition of a corpse, you would find that it has the same element in the dirt that's outside. It's just the way it is. It's the cycle of life, but what makes us different from the dirt and the vegetation is that God gives an actual spirit to human beings. And when you're born again, your spirit is revived, and now you you know the living God. It's pretty fascinating stuff. So here... God, the son of God, is spitting on the dirt. He's using the same dirt that he used to make people. And his spit, representing the spirit of God, and he reverses the effects of sin on this man's eyes. Again, the sin of mankind, not his particular sin. And I'm going to tell you this, that Jesus could give life to your situation too. I just want to encourage you with that. This isn't some obscure miracle that happened 2,000 years ago. That's a nice story, Pastor. I'm just going to go home. No. Take this, claim this for yourself. It's very important. When you look at blindness, and I I love studying the human body, the the eye, it's so complex with all the different moving parts of the eye. There could be, did he have a defect in his eye? Did he have a defect in his optic nerve that takes the signal and the information from the eye to the brain? 
Did he have a a brain trauma? Did it not completely develop in the womb and he was born that way? We don't know. One of those three parts was busted, was broken. And God, God doesn't tell us which one it is, but it doesn't matter because he knew and he fixed it. So, folks, something in your life might be busted right now, but he knows and he can fix it or at least make it livable. Trust him on that one. He knows your situation. He sends the man to the pool of Siloam. uh, And again, we can see an object lesson here. Uh, Why did he do that? Poor guy, he's already blind. Now his eyes are probably irritated. And he's blindly walking towards the pool of Siloam. Maybe somebody's helping him out. But you can see an object lesson here. Was the man willing to trust God? Was he willing to trust Jesus? Maybe the man had trust issues. Maybe the man had God issues. You know, but he... He was part of the solution. Jesus put his hand out, and the man took his hand, so to speak. He was part of the solution. Do this, and you'll, you'll be well. And he obeyed. He did it. Uh, could be a picture of going into the water, being touched by God, going into the water, and, and being immersed in the water, a symbol of being filled with the Holy Spirit, being revived spiritually. Again, an object lesson. You can look at... If, if you go in the commentaries, you could see literally dozens of applications. I don't want to bore you with them all, but Jesus, I believe, did, a, did an object lesson, and it wasn't instantaneous. Maybe the guy had a, an issue with patience. Listen, that's our culture. We're in a hurry. Drive through everything. I, I still talk about how amazed I am that I can order a large something, and next day it's at my doorstep on the Internet. How the heck does that happen? They must have some incredible, intricate web of delivery systems, and then they don't charge it for shipping. How, does, how do they make money? You know what I'm saying? But uh, we want, and I love that. I love it. I order it. You know, I'm the cheapskate. I'll, I'll be like, uh, no, I don't want to do next day because it's more money. Uh, but it does come pretty quickly, and that does make me happy. So uh, I'm guilty of it too. We live in an instantaneous culture. But God doesn't, you know, and that's the frustration, folks, that we have with God sometimes. Even mature Christians is the timing. Lord, but, I, but it's, don't you see? Yeah, he sees. I want it done right now. Maybe there's a reason why he didn't do it right now. So you, you, you really have to trust him. If you look in the Old Testament, uh, Naaman, Naaman the Syrian came to Elisha the prophet, and he had leprosy, which we know today is Hansen's disease, cured with a triple antibiotic, but they didn't know that back then. So God just did a miracle. So he said to, the prophet said to him, go into the Jordan and dip and you'll be healed. And Naaman was angry because he was a very prideful man. He was a a general, but he had leprosy. (laughs) This thing could have killed him. And he almost went back home in a huff. But his servant said, if if the man of God would have sent you to the rivers in Damascus, to the the Abinar or the Parfar, you would have done it. Master, just go dip in the Jordan. So he listens to the servant, and the servant saves the day, and the guy dips, and he's healed. But he almost lost that blessing because of pride. And we have to be careful with that today, too. You know, the Lord wants us to do something. The Lord is trying to do something in us. Uh, And we have to watch out for pride because it can be a closed door to something that God is willing to do. Now, some are squeamish, squeamish about getting spit in the eye, but I guarantee you this guy was very happy that he subjected himself to it because of the, not only does he get his, his physical sight back, but he also gets saved, and we'll see that. So let's continue. 
It actually gets humorous as we go further down. Verse 8, it says, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How are your eyes open? He answered and said, A man called Jesus. Remember, he he didn't see Jesus at the time. He was getting healed. He was still blind. So he, heard, he only heard the Lord's voice and heard the conversation. A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received sight. So they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So they brought him to who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. So you have the neighbors in the community. And if I can use Mac as my subject again. Just like the disciples, they're having a discussion. The dude's sitting right there. Looks like him, but how do you know? Is it, well, what's up? What's that? Oh, it's you. Oh, yeah, it's, it's him. So they knew it was him. You know, what were they doing? <laughs> so here they are now, almost like the disciples having a debate about, is it really him? I know it looks like him. He's like, look, I can just see now. I don't look any different. You know what I'm saying? Um, so this is the, the onlookers, the, the society, uh, you know, there was, there was an issue folks. The underlying issue was that the religious system had a problem with Jesus because he exposed their hypocrisy. So there was some threats made that the people couldn't worship in the local synagogue if they believed in Jesus. So maybe this was part of it, but in verse 13, you know, what do they do? Do they give glory to God? No, they send them to the religious system. You know, what do you do when God is trying to get a hold of your heart through a great work and you're not ready yet? You find religion. Why? Because religion's easier. Do this, do that, say these things, do it on a Sunday or a Saturday, and then do whatever you want for the rest of the week. That's not a relationship with God. Religion doesn't save. I think the community, honestly, was, was playing dumb. Um, And I would just say to the spectators and seekers this morning, what do you seek? If you find it, will you embrace it? Or will you continue to run, deny, obfuscate, pretend? You know, is it possible that that the whole village was praying for this poor kid? Now, obviously he wasn't rich, because if he was rich, he wouldn't have to beg. So the parents raise him, probably a poor family, I'm sure the parents were praying for him. God, please open his eyes. Could be decades they were praying for this. The poor guy's got to go out and beg. The parents can't really afford to take care of him. And, you know, no doubt the community, they did pity that family because that was a really hardship. They didn't have disability like we have today. They didn't have all the, the social. So I'm just kind of trying to fill you in on the mindset of everybody. So no doubt the neighbors and the community, maybe he was the only blind person in the whole community. So everybody's praying, everybody's concerned, and here a miracle's done, and they're almost kind of trying to explain it away. But people do that today. They search for God today, they find God, and then they question the whole scenario because, because what does God want? He wants our heart, right? He wants my heart. He wants me to talk to him. He wants me to spend time with him. He wants me to be concerned about his will for my life. And some people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. You ever hear the expression, be careful what you wish for? Listen, if you're wishing for a relationship with the living God, you you come to the right place. And I say that because we use the Bible. 
He's right here in his, in his living word. But don't get weird about, you know, well, and people do this. I give the altar call, and I was one of those people. What are my peers going to think? What's my family going to think? Well, they're this denomination, and I, I don't even know what the Calvary is, you know? I don't know. It's forget about Calvary. It's Jesus Christ. We only just have a venue for you to come face-to-face with your living God. He's everywhere. So we're just kind of facilitating the, the whole situation. But sometimes those around you, when you're getting close to God, they'll try to steal your joy. Oh, that's, that's definitely an application for today. Definitely. Verse 14. Continue. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. So he said to them, he put clay in my eyes, I washed, and I see. Very simple. Therefore, some of the Pharisees, now these, again, these are the religious leaders, said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So Jesus did come and he did bring division. Folks, he brings division in own families where some family members are sold out for Christ and others are just, they wanted to stay with their religion. They don't want you to get too excited about God. Imagine that. Don't get too excited about God. Think about that for a moment. Verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Now don't get hung up on that, the Jews. Jesus was Jewish. He came through the line of the Jews. The disciples were Jewish. The religious system was Jewish. And no doubt this man was Jewish. Okay, they're all Jewish. (laughs) Gentiles like us, like me, came many years later. But when when it says the Jews, it was speakingly their speak was they meant the Jewish leadership, the ones who kind of had authority over the faith, so to speak. So it's just their way of kind of communicating with each other. For the religious system, now this is where things get ugly, because. I don't know, it's no different today, and I've experienced it when I was young. Powerful, controlling, money-centered religion today. They were jealous of the miracle, you know, and Jesus was just trying to help the guy have a better life. And this really torqued them because he did it on the Sabbath. Now, understand this, that there's God's law, and it's very simple. In the Old Testament, it doesn't apply anymore under the New Covenant. It basically said that God made sure his people didn't run ahead of him and didn't get too far from him, because we tend to do that as humans. So they had laws on the Sabbath. You couldn't work. You couldn't do anything strenuous. You had to just relax, enjoy your family, and worship God. Not a hard thing to do. But what happened was over the years, they had all these teachings. And listen, I'm going to give it all around today, because in, in Christianity, that's done too. Just love, love your neighbor, love your enemy. Hmm, well, who is my neighbor? Well, every enemy, you know, and you start doing this, we start playing games with God's word, and this is what they did. So here comes Jesus, the son of God, doing incredible miracles. They're so caught up on their legalism and their rules that they don't see the miracle for what it is, which is very sad. If you get a chance, when you go home, read Matthew 23. And try to think of religious systems today. Jesus excoriates in this whole chapter. 
hypocritical religion. But if you really read it with an open mind, you'll see a lot of religions today kind of follow that. And Jesus said, don't do it. So they find this loophole. Well, he did a miracle, so it's kind of like work. So he's working on the Sabbath, therefore he can't be a man of God. Follow the logic there. However, at the time, there was a Jewish, Jewish maxim or a saying that said a prophet might dispense with ob- the observation of the Sabbath and performance of his prophetic duties. So there was a lot of conflicting ideas, but God's like, Jesus is like, I, I wrote the law, you know what I'm saying? It, it's okay, trust me. But today, and again, we see these things. Um, if you have ever heard the, the rule, so to speak, and people come to me like terrified when they have children, Well, the church told me that if I don't get my kid baptized in the church and give them a certain amount of money, it's like extortion. If my kid died as an infant, my kid wouldn't go to heaven. Does anybody really think that that would be God's rule? There's God's ways, which are good, and then religion comes in and muddies the waters. You give any man or group of men or group of people too much power, and you have problems. And that's some of the problem that people have today with what they call organized religion. So you know, people look at me going, well, don't you, aren't, isn't this a religion? We preach Jesus here. We don't have any other rule or, or you know, we don't have a book of rules or a book of order. Uh, we just have the Bible. We just do what the Bible says. It's very simple and it's good for you. So this man, you can see that they're getting irritated with him. But what is he doing? He's saying, he's giving a testimony I have a testimony. I know what Jesus did for me. Like if I was to be given the, the third degree of voir dire to cross-examined, actually it was almost like an interrogation, I would just say, listen, this was my lifestyle. I came to Christ, and it's that simple. It's my life, you know? And they're arguing with him over this. So I think that the man who was healed had a, a stronger resolve and character than the, most of the folks in this chapter. I think that... Being a beggar and being blind really strengthened his character and his will to survive so that when Jesus does this great miracle, he's like, you know what? I don't care what you do to me. I'm following Jesus. We'll continue on. Verse 19. So now they go to the religious leaders now go to the parents and they ask them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. That's the proverbial throwing their son under the bus. (laughs) They didn't want to get a foul. They didn't want to get in trouble with the religious system, right? His parents said these things because they feared the Jewish leadership, for they had agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, that he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. (laughs) So five out of seven is now we run into the parents. And this is really disappointing because if you think about it, they were, if anybody was praying for this boy or this young man to get a sight back, it was probably his parents and it's probably his mom. But here they are, listen, (laughs) you can picture mom saying, I know I gave birth to him. And I know when he came out, he was blind. And now he sees. Other than that, I don't know anything. Go ask him. You know what I'm saying? So it, I, can't, I can't help but find the humor in this. But this is what we would call the fear of man. Fear of man, fear of woman. 
There is a proverb, Proverb 29, 25, that states, the fear of man brings a snare or a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. There's a book written by Ed Welch that it's, it's, it's a book. It says, when people are big and God is small. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But with our behavior, we can say that. With our behavior, but not with our lips. Because why? People are all around us. You know, I want you to come do this for me on a Sunday. Well, I have church. I really, really, really want you to do this for me on a Sunday. You know, what happens is you start to now, because people are front and center in your life, you know, you have this fear of of man. And what happens is, well, God doesn't hit me with a lightning bolt when I don't follow up my commitments to him. So you end up gravitating towards doing things for people at the expense of not pleasing God. And you know what's interesting? It's a sign that we know that God is more merciful than people are, isn't it? If, you, if you're that type of person and you want to please people, um, you're really saying that God would be more gracious to me than these people would. But it's not a good practice. It's definitely not a good practice. And it's something that they uh, got caught up in. Excommunication. This is behavior that's practiced with the Jehovah Witnesses. I know people. Not only are you out of the church if you don't do and follow their rules, but they convince your family members who are still in it to not speak to you. Don't pick up the phone. You're shunned. The Amish do this. I know a lot of people go to Lancaster and they romanticize the Amish, but they have some bizarre practices. So this is what's being practiced. Listen, I'm I'm throwing it all around. This is religion in general. When a small group of people get too much power, I would say this, prepare for the pain from those closest to you that don't support your newfound relationship with the Lord because it's coming. Your friends, your family, maybe you'll be fortunate and most of them will will support you. But don't be surprised when a handful don't. Um, Again, this is God's living word. Verse 24, this gets funny. I'm sorry, this is hysterical. Verse 24, so they again called the man, (laughs) this poor guy, come back. Come back. They again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man, meaning Jesus, is a sinner. Of course, as I said in my opening, that's not true. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Wow, that must have really infuriated them. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is, and yet he has opened my eyes. Aren't you the vanguards of religion? Aren't you the, got the go-to guys that everybody goes to for spiritual matters? How do you not know who this guy is and he's running around opening the eyes of blind people? And all they had to do is read Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and they would know exactly who he is, but they didn't want to see that because the Bible prophesied. We've been, we've been through Isaiah for 55 chapters, coincidentally or not co- coincidentally, and it's be- Jesus is all throughout the book of Isaiah, especially the later chapters, and that's in the Old Testament. Verse 31, now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. By the way, God does hear sinners. 
we don't have, you know, if, if me, before I knew Christ, when I called out to Christ, he heard my prayer and he accepted me into his family. So again, my opening, I'll go back to that. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast them out. So six out of seven is the blind man is healed. And again, I believe that he had a childlike, he probably was so happy. He probably stayed up late at night just looking at stuff. I have depth perception. I see people. I see animals. Oh, that flower is so beautiful. I've never seen purple before. You know what I'm saying? This dude is probably going everywhere until it's completely dark and he can't see anything. And then he goes to bed. Just imagine if it were you, your whole life. You're blind and your eyes are open. Wow. It's like having a new toy and there's two of them and they're in stereo. So cool. So this is what's going on. And they're just trying to dampen his fire. It's sad. (sighs) Well, again, you know, I grew up in a religion and I feared coming to church. I didn't open my mouth. I didn't ask any questions. And that's the way it rolled. Um, So (laughs) I have some things in my mind. I think it's not from the Holy Spirit, so I will keep going. Uh, that happens when you're a pastor. Do I let it go out, roll out the tongue? Let's just leave it at that. But I've had uh, just seen a lot of things that were not good. I've seen a lot of people hurt by religion. I've seen uh, religious, powerful people crush people's spirits. So I'm, I'm all in for Jesus. This is, I'm all in for Jesus. And I'll leave it at that. So what does the healed, the healed man do? He musters up enough courage to stand up for Jesus. And I'm going to just ask you to take a lesson from him. Be like this man. If you're on the fence now or, you know, a lot of times during the week, I have counseling appointments. I talk to people on the phone, people who are struggling with, they were so, so excited to come up to receive Jesus. And they're getting a hard time when they go home. And and I try to encourage them. Um, the persecuted church overseas, it's even worse. They can be killed for their faith. But in the end, we have all eternity with the Lord. So this man puts that in perspective. Don't let anybody take that joy away from you. You want God? Good. He wants you. Come together. Don't let anybody separate that. Last few verses. Here comes Jesus. <laughs> Jesus heard that they had cast them out, and we had found them. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. You know, people in their excitement tried to bow down and worship the Apostle Paul and, and different men of God. And they were like, No, 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 that's only reserved. Even the angel in Revelation. John is so amazed by all the visions. He goes down to worship the angel. The angel says, get up. I'm not God. Only God gets worship. Saturday morning, we want to tell you about Jesus. Oh, you haven't heard this. Jesus really wasn't God. Okay. Go through the entire gospel of John. You have to completely ditch the gospels and and really check your mind at the door to not see that Jesus is God. So this man, he, he worships him. He knows who he is. It clicks. The light bulb goes off. 
Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. He's not speaking physically. And this is what Jesus studied. He comes into the world, and everyone is polarized based on Christ. Some that believe who he is, the Jesus of the Bible, and some that they don't want to give it the time of day. He continues, then some of the Pharisees, Jesus had no problem speaking out in the open. The religious leaders who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. You'd be ignorant. You just don't know. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. They saw the truth. They saw the work of God and they denied it. And people do that today. Seven, the conclusion. Religion casts out the man, but Christ takes him in. And in verse 38, the blind man gets saved. So he goes in a short period of time of regaining physical sight to gaining spiritual sight. Awesome. Guy got a double blessing. 39 through 41 is, again, it's very deep. Uh, Jesus often speaks in metaphors. We've seen this in Isaiah or the, the um, you know, Isaiah did, God did through Isaiah. Jesus picks that up in the New Testament. Uh, but there's two types of people in the world, according to Christ. Those who have spiritual sight and those who don't. But he does want those who can't see to see. This isn't an exclusive club, oh, you Christians. You want to believe in the Son of Man, in the Son of God? Then have at it. He wants to bring you into his family of God. The other group are those that... You know, it says, I think the expression is, those aren't as blind as the ones who refuse to see. They refuse to see. Two types of people in the world, Jesus said. The wide road that leads to destruction, he says, many are on that wide road. That's the world. They're all going for things they think will, will complete them, will save them. Jesus said, there's a narrow road that leads to everlasting life and few find it. Because they don't want to, because they want to find it, versus the ones that don't want to find it. So they were deceived. This religious system. And when I see things today, and I read it in the news, and I just think um, the cover-ups, some of these these pedophilia scandals to cover it up and send somebody to another church, or to deceive law enforcement, or to cover for these people, they're not men of God. They're evil. They're predators, and they should be in jail. You don't tell me that these are men of God. Don't tell me that they speak for God. Boy, can we be like sheep as people to follow these folks? It's wrong. Somebody does something that awful and it's a practice, it's not a man of God. That's somebody who found a, a, a profession that they could get into, that they could uh, prey on, on the weak and the most vulnerable of society. Don't give a small group of people that much power in your life. That's reserved for God. So what are you seeking when you come to church? Are you looking just with your physical eyes or are you looking with your spiritual eyes? Out of all the people surrounding Christ's miracle, which one are you most like? The disciples initially just talking about it? The parents who don't want anything to do with it? The religious system? Oh, they're nice religious people. That they just, and, and I've, listen, back in the, in the old days in, in Judaism, you know, Judaism is like Christianity. There's so many different schisms, and some of them don't even agree with each other. 
You see, you can see that in Christianity today. Well, what's real? Okay, the ones that actually follow the scripture. This is the playbook. Okay, the others are fighting with each other and, and arguing about different things. Um, some actually back then and today deny miracles. If you said, you know what, I heard from God on this, certain religious leaders would think that you need to go to a psychiatrist. Well, how do you, I just, I actually never heard God's audible voice, and I don't doubt that anybody has, but he has spoken to me. I recently, uh, recently, I, I got this thought, it wasn't for me, and he told me about somebody to check on somebody because they were going to pass away, and it turns out that they did on the day that he said it. The night before my father, my biological father died, I was driving in the car praying, talking to my spiritual father, and I brought up my physical, my biological father, and God said to me, he's not going to make it. The next morning, my brother woke me up, uh, called me in a panic, and said they're doing CPR on dad. I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I started to get ready to go over there. I did my dad's funeral, but I knew that they weren't going to bring him back because my spiritual father told me the night. So am I crazy? You don't have to come to this church anymore if you think so. But heck, how could I know these things? Seriously. How could I know these things? God does speak to us. He does let us know things. And, and that's an awesome thing. And you know what he did? He prepared me to do my own father's funeral because everybody else was disjointed. This is what God does. This is what happens when you become a born-again Christian. So the question at the end is who truly sees in this case, the healed man truly saw, right? He could have taken the miracle, which some did in those days, and walked away from Jesus and never came back, never thanked him, never came back, never let him know how things were going. People did that, and Jesus let them be healed, right? Um, and why did they do that? Because Jesus comes with too much risk. And people today have that same attitude. It's too risky. Too many things I got going on. But the man wasn't content with just having physical sight. He wanted his spiritual sight as well. He lost his religious community. It's quite possible that his parents now were alienated from him, but he gained eternal life. Weigh it out, folks. Put it on the scale. My question to you this morning is, what did you come here seeking? And did you see it in God's word? And if you saw it in God's word and you know it's the truth, what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have Children's Church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.